G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome and thanks for joining me again. In this episode, Pastor Jeff wants to encourage us, but he also has a big challenge for us, for us to strive to live godly lives. Continuing on from our last episode, we're in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus imparts wisdom about fulfilling the law. If you missed the first part of this message, just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Let's hear the rest of it now with Pastor Jeff. Okay, let's give you a little test. I want you to measure your emotions. I'm going to show you some pictures of some people. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you really pray for these people? And are you angry about what they do? But even though you're angry about what they do, if you were to meet them as an individual, you would actually be courteous. And when they walked away from you, they would know you're a Christ follower. And if you met them as a Christ follower, do you really believe that they have infinite value because they've been created in the image of God? And would you treat them with respect? Oh, calling of Christ is hard, isn't it? <laughs> now, let me, let me explain something here. If I'm a soldier and I'm in World War II and I meet Hitler, my job is not grace. My job is to kill him. The Bible's very clear that there's a great difference between you as an individual Christ follower and you as a representative of a nation in war. You understand? A policeman, his job out in the community is not grace. (laughs) Think about it. If a policeman said to a rapist and a murderer, hey, it's okay, man, I'm all about grace. That's injustice. But that policeman off duty, as a Christ follower, when he's not representing the state, what's his job? Pray for the guy. Man, I got to help you. I got to get you help. And the reason you're able to do that as a Christ follower is you know that whatever, what, no matter how bad somebody's doing something, the same seeds are in you. And given the right ground, you may do the same. Now, some of you are saying, 
but I'm not as bad as them. There we go. I got to go back and preach the gospel again. Two acorns. <laughs> How would Jesus treat you if he met you? Should he be angry with you? How would he treat you? He would plead for you to change. He would tell you the truth about yourself. He would hope that you would change. He would hope that you would consider eternity in the light of all your beliefs and actions, but he'd be pulling for you inside for transformation, and he would tell you there's hope. That's why Jesus says in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? Because the listeners in Jesus' day, you know, the Pharisees were like the monks and the Amish of our day. You know, they, they saw themselves as professional do-gooders. They're tightly ordered community, tightly ordered lives, governed by a long list of regulations designed primarily to prevent violation of any law. So when Jesus would have said this to his audience, his audience would have probably responded, how, how is it even possible for us to be more righteous than the Pharisees? But you see, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is trying to tell you, that the law is not just outward external compliance with it. It's not merely wrong to violate the law, but it's an equal violation to have thoughts and motives that lead to violating the law. And furthermore, you must have the attitudes and motives of the heart that lead to doing the opposite. In other words, it's not enough not to hate. You must love. It's not enough not to hate Putin. You must love him. Not enough not to hate your president. You must love him. Now do you know why? Here's the law. Good luck. But yet the law is good. It brings life. It brings vitality. Now, if your elevator does not go all the way to the top, you know, if you're one sandwich short of a picnic, if you're a few cards short of a full deck, if you're a few fries short of a Happy Meal, you got it? If people describe you as the battery's not fully charged or the gates are down, the lights are flashing, but the train ain't coming. If that's how people describe you, then you hear what I've just said. You say, yeah, man, that's me. I'm righteous. I do all those things. Unless you're one ski short of a snowmobile, you hear Jesus' words, and suddenly you realize, I can't do that, especially when you get to verse 19, and he starts talking about the prophets and the whole Bible. And then you realize, you don't just get rules in the law, you get exemplars in the law. You get inspiring stories that are supposed to inspire you, but they really don't. They do, but they don't. Because you see these people doing amazing things, and you say, I can't do that. Moses parts the Red Sea. Joshua fells the wall of Jericho. Abraham leaves home and all of his wealth to go to a land. He doesn't even know where he's going because he trusts God. Abraham takes Isaac onto the mountain. Joseph forgives his brothers, forgives his brothers who sold him into slavery and then weeps when they're restored. So if you really think about it, you agree that all those things are good, but you know you can't live like that. So here's how you must live. You can't do it. And then the third part is, but in Christ, something special happens. So in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but instead I've come to fulfill the law. Okay, stay with me. If you stay with me, I'll preach shorter. <laughs> I can tell when you're with me. If you, if you zone out, I think I've lost you, so I've got to keep telling illustrations to get you back. All right? Usually when we talk about the law and Jesus' fulfillment of it, we talk about the fact that he paid the penalty for our sins, right? 
Say, okay, yeah, I know Jesus fulfilled the law. He did for me what I could not do for myself. Let me illustrate it to you like this. When we come to the law, and I've noticed this in church for 30 some years, when you come to the law of God and we acknowledge that it's good, there are three types of people seated in churches. The first type, let's say, let's say the law is a tightrope and then the net below that catches you when you fall is grace. Three types of people in the room right now. The first type of person is what I call a walker. He or she comes out and they see the law. And man, they think they are so right. Watch me. Look at me go. Look at this. I am so righteous. I keep the law. I love the law. Now they fall all the time, but they're not going to tell you about that. And they're very judgmental. Even in areas that they're not strong, if you fail, they will judge you, man, and you're done. You're gone. So they're walking, and their whole sense of self-esteem and security is based on their ability to keep the law. But they're sad all the time because their soul knows who they really are. So they smile to you, but they're miserable all the rest of the time. They know they don't walk the rope. And then you got the second group of people, which are leapers. Leapers come out, and they see the law, and they think, too hard, can't be bothered. Whee! They jump into the net. <laughs> okay? They have no passion for the law, and they are, they are great at rationalization. They say, well, God understands why I'm like this. He knows I can't do this. Whee! So they're diving in. They're doing somersaults. There's no attempt whatsoever to walk the law. And the reason is because they don't love the law. There's been no transformation in their heart. They don't connect it with life, vitality, and, and the character and nature of God. So they just leap into the net and they say to themselves, well, God's grace will forgive me. So I'm not going to make any effort not to sleep with my girlfriend that I'm not married to. I'm not going to make any effort to be holy and to tell the truth and not to take what doesn't belong to me and not to come. I'm not gonna make, because God knows I'm weak. You know, he says in the Bible, the flesh is weak. Wee! Okay. Second group. Then there's the third group. Third group gets out and they think, man, that rope is good. It's good. I know that life and vitality is associated I'm going to try my best to walk it. And then they fall and they're sad. But then they climb back up the ladder and they keep trying to walk because they know it's good. And they're so grateful and thankful for the grace of God. But it never serves as an excuse for why they won't try to walk the rope. And those are called genuine Christ followers. They love the law. They love it. And they try and they pursue. Now, the gospel is when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish it. Why would he want to abolish something that brings life and vitality? But he says, I fulfilled it for you. Okay, two illustrations and then we'll wrap it up. The last one's a bit lengthy. A warning. Not too long ago, I was in my car and I was going to Palm Springs on a Monday morning. It was early, so not a lot of traffic. Because people usually come from Las Vegas and wherever you are on Sunday night or early Monday morning. So I'm driving out. Monday's my off day. So I'm driving. I'm going to play golf with a friend. And you know, it's one of those days, guys, that you just lose sight of your speed. Does that ever happen to you on that road? I mean, it's how many lanes and there's nobody there. And you got the, you're looking at the beautiful windmills. And I lost track of how fast I was going. I didn't have the cruise set on. And then these new cars, man, you can be flying and not even know it, Right. Will you help me out here, brother? <laughs> Can you give a brother a break here? And of course, you know me, I was praying at the same time. And I, yeah, yeah, praying, yeah, yeah. So suddenly, blue lights in the back. I looked down 93. <laughs> Trouble. I thought to myself, I'm going to jail. 
I'm going straight to jail. I pulled over. He comes along the right side. And my, my father taught me at a very young age, both hands on the wheel, no sudden moves. Both hands on the wheel, no sudden moves. He takes off his sunglasses, looks down. He says, is there any reason that you have to go so fast? You know, I, what does he want me to say? You know, is there any, I said, and I said, no, sir, no reason. I'm guilty of sin. To tell you the truth, if I can just be honest, I was paying no attention. I was listening to my music and I was paying no attention. So he says, all right, driver's license registration. Now I have to move one of my hands, but I move it slowly. <laughs> Give it to him. He goes back to the car, probably to find out if I'm a fugitive or, or not, if I'm running from something. Otherwise, I wouldn't be driving so fast. <laughs> he comes back around 10 minutes later. He says, you know, Mr. Vines, it's reckless driving. The fine, pretty significant. And he actually gets out his ticket book and he says, or you can go to court and, and fight it. And I say, because I'm, why would I do that? I'm guilty. Why would I go to court and fight anything? I'm guilty. Uh, give me the fine. He looks at me. He's kind of shocked. And he folds his ticket book up and he says, okay, just slow down. And I said, yes, sir, with both hands. <laughs> now, this is important. If he writes me a ticket, or if I have to go to jail, after I pay the ticket, or after I do the time, I am righteous under the law, right? The law has nothing on me. After you've paid what it's due, then you are righteous right under the law. Because you were right under the law by not violating it, which none of us could do, or by paying the penalty. Now, we always talk about how Christ paid our penalty. Therefore, we are right under the law. But it's not only that. It's not only that he paid our penalty. It's he lived the life you didn't live. So much so that when you do fail and you fall into the net, he's still up there on the rope. <coughs> And he's looking down at you and he's saying, I got this. I'm doing what you couldn't do. And that's why the Bible goes to great lengths to say that he not only fulfills the law, but he fulfills the exemplars of the law. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate Abraham who left his home to go to a foreign land. Jesus is the ultimate Joseph who saved his people from spiritual famine and welcomed us back in as brothers. Jesus is the ultimate David who ushered in a kingdom that will never end. And do you know what that means for all of you? And I hope you get this because people go through their entire church life never getting it. It means that you and I are in that third group of followers. We're, we're the real thing. We want to obey. We know the law is good. We know attached to it is life and vitality. We believe it's good and it brings life. However, underneath we're different in the sense that all of this is the realization that the law has no power over us anymore. That Jesus destroyed the only thing that could destroy us. And we are now justified. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. 
He died your death, lived your life. That we are justified through faith. You're made right through faith, not through your goodness, but through your faith. You say, okay, Pastor Jeff, that's, you know, it's, it's, that's interesting, but it's not staggering. Yes, it is. But we're going to need a little help to understand what's happening here. Martin Luther says that once you understand that Christ has fulfilled the law, it utterly changes your relationship not only to the law, but to yourself. And then he goes on in his commentary in Galatians to say this. The law now has a role out in your life. It is the job of the law to guide us, to tell us how to love God and how to live and how to become a person God wants us to be. So the law has a place, but the law must not climb up onto the throne of your conscience. What is the conscience? That's the seed of your, your self-regard, your identity, your sense of value and acceptance before God. So Luther is saying that the only person that has the right to sit on that throne of your self-esteem, self-worth is Jesus Christ. Not some law or moral code you think you can keep. Not your performance. It's Jesus and what he's done, not what you think you have to do. Dr. Tim Keller says what happens is that Christians constantly forget that Jesus fulfilled the law. And when that happens, the law starts to climb up into the throne and starts to tear you apart to the point of despair. So Luther says, I want you to speak to yourself. He says, I want you to say to the law, oh law, you would climb up into the realm of my conscience and condemn me and drive me to my depression or desperation. You have overstepped your bounds. You are a God for my actions, but the gospel, Jesus is my everlasting life, not you. And then he says, so trouble me not. I will not allow you to reign in my conscience, which is now the seed in the temple of Christ, my sweet savior and mediator. He shall keep my conscience quiet and peaceful in the knowledge of my righteousness in him. So Luther says the law goes out in your life, but not into your conscience. It's not the basis of your identity or self-worth. And then John Calvin comes along and he adds to what Luther says. He says, if Jesus Christ has actually fulfilled the law, then Jesus does not merely change your relationship to law and to yourself. He changes everything because that means he's the true Isaac who was sacrificed for you. The true Joshua who leads us to the promised land. The true Moses, writing the spirit of the law into our hearts. And then he finishes like this, and I love this. It's lengthy, but stay with me here. If Jesus Christ has actually fulfilled the law, this fully and completely with this sort of multiplicity, then it follows that every good thing we could think of or desire is to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. He was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made a curse for our blessings, a sin offering for our righteousness, marred that we may be made fair. He died for our life so that by him fury is made gentle, wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, despisal despised, debt canceled, labor lightened, sadness made merry, misfortune made fortunate, difficulty made easy, disorder ordered, division united, ignominy ennobled, rebellion subjected, intimidation intimidated, ambush uncovered, assaults assailed, force forced back, combat combated, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, the abyss sunk into the abyss, hell transfixed, death dead, mortality made immortal. In short, mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness and all misfortune. Then Calvin goes on to say, 
If this is all true, and it is, then we are comforted in all tribulation, joyful in all sorrow, glorying in vituperation, abounding in poverty, warm in our nakedness, patient amongst the evils, and living in our deaths. Now, do you get what just happened here? Here's what I've discovered. Again, a little bit of meaty here. You need this from time to time. Here's what you discover in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks, it's not about those who give and those who don't give, about those who pray and those who don't pray, those who fast and those who don't fast. The difference is the motivation with which you do these things, how you pray and how you give and how you fast. And so there are one of two ways you can relate to the law of God. One brings life, the other death. The first is the pharisaical way of obedience to the law of God. And it's where you say, I am so good. I love God's law and I keep it all the time. But inside, you're going to be miserable because you know you violate it. You're just not willing to admit it. It cannot save you. It'll just make you feel guilty and tear you up from the inside out if you're depending on the law for your self-esteem and self-worth. You'll never be happy in church, folks. You'll never know what it is to be joyful in Christ. You'll never be exuberant in your worship because you're always beating yourself up when you come in here and you think somehow that if you sit here for an hour, God will forgive you. Doesn't work like that. Or second, it can be the grace-motivated obedience to God. I want to be good. I know the law is good. I will strive to be good. But in reality, I know that I'm in that net more often than I'd like to admit. And I am so thankful that Jesus looks down and says, I got this. I lived the life you could not live. Get back on the ladder and keep striving. And that kind of person has joy. And you'll notice something about them. They're incredibly gracious. They're the most gracious people you'd ever meet. And you know why? Because they know their own failures. They know how they relate to the law. So they're not going to judge you. They're just going to give you grace and give you encouragement. Get back up on the ladder. Keep trying. They're going to call you out. Get on the ladder. Keep trying. Don't give up because God's law is life. But they're never going to write you off. I love those people. I love those people who never give up on you. Did you see what Chris Pratt said at the MTV Awards? All right? Let me read one little section. I love it. He looked out to the crowd first. I loved how he said, look, I take, I take it for granted. I'm the old guys. You're the young. So basically shut up and listen. He said, nobody's perfect. People will tell you that you're perfect just the way you are. You are not. I've been waiting for somebody to say that for a long time. I get so weary. People saying, well, you know, God made me this way and this is how I am. And I'm perfect in and of myself. No, you're not. You got issues like the rest of us. And he says, you are imperfect. You always will be. But there's a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. Like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Don't forget that. Don't take it for granted. <laughs> it's like the Huffington Post all over again. <laughs> you are secure in Christ. Walk the rope because it will bring you life. But when you fall, look up. He's still standing. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. The writer of the Psalms says, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you and praise you for the gift of the law that puts us on the rope 
that leads to life. Thank you that your law is good and it's motivated out of love like a father for a child, a son or a daughter. Thank you for showing us that the law is good and this is how we should live, but we can't live, but what we could not do, Jesus did for us. And if we will humble ourselves and admit that we are law violators, if we will humble ourselves and bring our lives to the cross of Jesus, that he will put his spirit in us and enable us to do things we never thought we could do. Although we may never be perfect under the law, our self-esteem and our self-worth is not based on the law, but upon what Christ says about us, that we are his children, heirs of the promise, not because of how good we are, but because of what he has done. And so, Father, I pray for a life-defining moment for so many that they would get out of the works of the law and march toward grace where law is still important. It is not obsolete, but it doesn't save us. Salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's his name that we're grateful, that we praise, and we say, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.